Don't Wreck Yourself features words and situations that are not appropriate for young listeners. This show is only for adults and unsupervised juvenile delinquents of exquisite taste and refinement. Each week, our hosts look into claims they find online, answer your questions, and say bad words. Now your way is the only way, and my way is the only way to fill the space between a hard place and a rock is all we do. But we'll entertain the conversation that leads us to the truth. What do we know? What trips to telephones that are no different to you. Welcome to Don't Wreck Yourself. My name's Ryan Placetti, and I'm here to disentangle you from the Gordian knot of the internet's bullshit. Set your phasers to podcasting. Oh? I'm Cap. Back at it again. <laughs> Vaporized. Hello, Ryan. Thanks for, uh, what do you call it? Fuck. What do they call it in Star Trek when you come in? Teleport? They don't call it teleporting. What do you call it? Transporting. Transporting. Fuck. Or beaming. You could say beaming if you're like down with the slime. That's what I was looking for. Thanks for beaming me in tonight, Ryan. Like when they have a first contact with an alien species and they're explaining their technology, they're like, we transported down. But when they're talking to each other, they're like, yo, we beaming up or what? Beam me up. Yeah. Two to beam up. Beam me up later. (laughs) (laughs) So if you haven't guessed, today's topics are all going to be sci-fi and space related in honor of Cap's current stewardship as the commanding officer of the USS Shrimp and Crits. Yes, I am running the current campaign on Shrimp and Crits. We are playing a game called Starhold, and it is a sci-fi horror game, DTRPG. So I am in the mood for some space shenanigans with you, Ryan. Well, that's good news because we have nothing but space topics. Oh, I just can't wait. (laughs) You know, I I think with this episode, it's one of those things where you shoot for the moon and if you miss, you end up in the stars. And I've missed you a lot. So welcome to the stars, Cap. (laughs) Oh, it's so warm. (laughs) It's nice to be here. Everything's glittering. Been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. I've been kind of taking it easy. For most of this year, actually, I, I, I added up the number of episodes that I've produced so far this year, and it's significantly lower than in previous years. Just call it season two. Yeah, we're yes, we're this is episode <laughs> one of season two, exactly. which happens to also be episode 92 of the series, probably by the time this comes out. That's how most shows do it. I've got a couple. I've got a couple recording episodes. Uh, I've got a couple recording. That's a fart noise, by the way. That means I made a mistake. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things that professionals do to cue the audio editor in to yeah. a, a piece of audio, like an artifact in the, in the audio that needs to be removed. You just, you, you, you purse your lips together and then you make it sound like your butthole. So you want to do that again right now for this, uh, everything you just said? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's, yep. There it is. <laughs> this, this is wait, comedy. Wait, wait. Or, or. That's, oh, that's a full blown. That that sounds like a that's, poop. Yeah, that that sounded like a poop. <laughs> you are correct. That's that, when you thing is, and that was just for as an example for our audience. So that way, because when Ian hears the fart noise, he knows that there's some audio that needs to be jettisoned. When he hears the mm-hmm. poop noise, he knows that he has to just throw the entire episode in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is your career in foley work, getting started off the ground. Yeah, when you I when I when I send. Folder. When I send Ian a picture of me taking a shit directly on a mm-hmm. microphone, that means this episode's no good. 
You just have to do it once. You can send the same video every time. <laughs> no, I would never. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm an artist. <laughs> Who do I look like? Andy fucking Warhol? No, I make art. I don't just find it. <laughs> anyway, um, so why don't we tell folks a little bit about what you're doing on on Shrimp and Crits this season, just the, the general premise. And I, I think what we'll do is we'll play the... Uh, Oh, I, shit, I can, I can, I can talk about putting all sorts of shrimp and crits audio. Like, I can just be like, boom, hey, throw that audio in there because it's the same editor. Ian has all this That's shit on his so computer. Easy. It's a file. I don't have to send them. And we were talking about this earlier too because I like things that require very little investment from me but are still good. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was telling you how great I think the sound design. And Ian's probably going to hear that too because it's all in the pre-audio. But that's okay, Ian. You're getting credit on the actual show, not just in the, you know the pre-show banter, but Ian has done a, an absolutely magnificent job crafting an audio environment for the newest season of Shrimp and Crits, which you are about to tell us either before or after, up to you, up to you, either before or after we play the, uh, you know, your trailer that you put out. Yeah, it should be like at the same time, right? Like just now? Two, two sources of audio just, just now. Overlapping each other. <laughs> just the now? Perfect. Yeah, right now. <laughs> All right, Ian, go Ready, ahead. go. Three, two, one, go. Um, yeah, so this is... Uh, right, you got to give him a little bit of a... <clears throat> there we go. Sorry. I there just, it is. I Thank the, you. I put the fart in there. You got you to gotta leave a little bit of a gap there. Like it, it's, it's, it's called a call and response. You have to wait for the response. It's a... <clears throat> and then the dead, <clears throat> the dead and awkward silence after that. <laughs> and that's where Ian puts the audio for your show. Mm-hmm. Incoming transmission, courtesy of Swan Scientific, where we take the stars under our wings. This message brought to you by the Carrion Corporation, uncovering the universe's potential today. Greetings from Arcadia 19. Our diligent Carrion Corp mining family has uncovered something new and unique deep beneath our cutting-edge underground mining facility. We request your expertise in collection and categorization as Carrion Corp wishes to share this discovery with the universe. Embedded in this transmission are the coordinates to the moon of Arcadia 19, or as we like to call it, home. See you soon. End of transmission. Right there. You did it. All right. (laughs) Yeah, this is the story of three spacers who work for a big corporate nonprofit that go where they're needed to investigate new discoveries. Similar to Star Trek, I guess, in that way. But it's a small crew. It's only three people and their ever-faithful AI, Lisa. But they've been tasked to go to this mining planet. All right. A moon. Arcadia 19. Where something new has been discovered. Yeah, well, I mean, they know that they just heard the audio. Exactly. Right? Um, yeah. so I don't want to give too much away. The AI Lisa. Tell me. Is she inspired by any real world Lisas, like Lisa Simpson, who is definitely <laughs> a real person? Or uh, um, Lisa Simpson is my favorite Simpson character. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that Ryan's mother's name is Lisa. And okay. it's causing some mental anguish for both him and Katie. I did not know this until about halfway through our first recording, and I did offer to change it, but they said it was okay. But no, I don't remember. I think perhaps the acronym came first. I don't remember how the name came. All right. Well. But very, very inspired by uh, Wheatley from Portal 2 mm -hmm. and Hal 9000 from 2001 Space Odyssey. So yeah, if any of you were doubting whether or not this is sci-fi, 
you're not alone. Our first topic comes to us from r slash no stupid questions. That is a subreddit, which is, is like a, a segment of the website, like a, like an individual topical area on the Reddit website where you can ask any question by virtue of some strange alchemy. There it is. Native to the Internet. Or some weird science, if we want to keep things on theme for today. That question is not stupid. So user poisoned bubble tea. <laughs> Thank you. Well, now, <laughs> if, anyone, if anyone around them dies of poisoning, it's yeah. just like, I know who done it. And I know what, the, like, I think I found your murder weapon. It was the bubble tea in the study. Uh, I like that they're poisoned bubble tea. Oh, no, that's never mind. That's one month it's, ago. It's I, one month ago. Bubble tea it. one. I was like, somebody else really have it, had this name. That's incredible. Not anymore. And they just moved up. Uh, but anyways, poison bubble tea wants to know. If it has robots, does it count as sci-fi? Gut instinct. <sighs> I've thought a lot about this, and I think yes. I say yes. I've, I've really racked my brain for the last six hours. No further question. explanation necessary, people. All right, next topic. Um, no, listen. <laughs> listen, there are a lot of things. I could argue my own topic. There's a lot of things in, you know, like literature and stuff that people would argue are robots, but I don't think I can do that. I don't think I could argue that they're robots. Robots have a very specific makeup. Okay. So, like, people like to argue the Jewish golem. It's kind of a robot by magic. And the thing is, like, as a not Dungeons and Dragons player at this point, I think, Mm -hmm. we both have an understanding of golems as constructs, and constructs are like magical robots in, like, the context of RPG fantasy. In fantasy, exactly. Yeah. Now, that being said, I I really wanted to dive into this one. So I'm ready to dive into this with you. I have a knowledge of fictional robots. So I, I wanted to approach this from the broadest perspective possible. So the first thing mm-hmm. I did is I looked up a definition for science fiction. And I went no further than Wikipedia. Yeah, I mean... What I, else is I, I had to delve no, no deeper than Wikipedia. Wikipedia provided uh, uh, actually a lot of different definitions for science fiction because it turns out there are a lot. So anyway, uh, science fiction, sometimes uh, shortened to SF or sci-fi, as it is in this question, is described by Wikipedia as a genre of speculative fiction, which typically deals with imaginative and futuristic concepts such as advanced science and technology, space exploration, time travel, parallel universes, and extraterrestrial life. Science fiction can trace its roots to ancient mythology, blah, 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 blah. Uh, They also get into the Mm -hmm. definitions that are argued by various authorities, such as Isaac Asimov. So Isaac Asimov describes science fiction as a branch of literature which deals with the reaction of human beings to changes in science and technology, which is an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert Heinlein. The gentleman behind Starship Troopers, original the OG Starship Troopers, the book, uh, which okay. is really just like a, a recruiting document for space fascists. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing my part. Uh, Heinlein wrote that a handy short definition of almost all science fiction might read realistic speculation about possible future events based solidly on adequate knowledge of the real world, past and present, and on a thorough understanding of the nature and significance of the scientific method. Wow. These guys are sort of like classic sci-fi. Sure. You know, both in terms of their contribution to the form, 
but also in their definition of science fiction, you know, for example, is E.T. sci-fi. It deals with extraterrestrials. It deals with extraterrestrials, but are they... So does that meet Highline's requirement of a realistic speculation about possible future events based solidly on... So, you know, in his mind, science fiction should be speculating about the future. Now, sure. you, could, you could argue that E.T. is speculating about the existence of technology which is out of the reach of human beings or will one day become within reach of human beings. So I, I guess you could argue that E.T. Yeah. is sci-fi. Defining what is realistic to you, you know? Right. So can we add another entry to this Wikipedia page that just says, if it has robots, it's sci-fi? If it has robots, it's sci-fi. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to start... So. The existence of robots in a story does not necessarily make it sci-fi, in my opinion, because I think of shows like Scrubs. So in the show Scrubs, uh, there's an episode where he imagines a robot harassing an elderly patient. And it's just like a person in like a boxy suit. They're dressed up like a classic cheesy 1950s sci-fi robot. But the presence of the robot in that dream sequence, although it is there on the show, does uh-huh. not turn Scrubs into science fiction. That's fair. I my, see that. My other example, and this is a favorite example of mine, does not necessarily prove that robots don't make it science fiction, but it perhaps argues that Rocky Four is a science fiction film. Oh, okay. In the film Rocky Four, Rocky Balboa is so rich that he buys his cousin Polly a service robot that brings him beer. And talks to him and takes voice commands. So Rocky Four was made in 1985. There, there were like we still do not have personal servant robots in the homes of the rich, or maybe they do. Do, do you think? Do you think Elon Musk has a has a personal robot? Yeah, I don't think it's to help him do chores. <laughs> I don't know, like drive his kids to school that sort of thing. He's got self driving cars. Does that count? Uh, yeah, I mean, and we have, I mean, I'm looking at Polly's robot right now. We do okay. have Roombas. This is certainly not a Roomba. Oh, I, uh, I apparently have not seen Rocky Four. This feels like a fever dream. <laughs> uh, so not only that, not only does, does Polly in Rocky Four have what appears to be a sentient robot that serves him beer and birthday cakes. But Sylvester Stallone is fighting Ivan Drago, who is a, at the very least, chemically enhanced Russian super boxer. So at this point, Rocky has speculative. Is is speculative? Like what if? Like and the, and the what if here is not a smart what if. It's not like somebody like doing what you're doing right now, stroking your chin and thinking mm-hmm, about the future. Mm-hmm. It's like we're we're four films into this series. The first Rocky won won an Oscar, didn't it? Or or was nominated for an Academy Award at, at the least very nominated. least. Absolutely. And then you have Rocky Two, which is a direct follow up, picks up right where Rocky One leaves off. Rocky Three, which is kind of a sleeper with Mr. T as Clubber Lang, and mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. in Rocky Four, you have robots and Russian super soldiers. <laughs> so, do you think that when Rocky knocked out Apollo Creed, that a butterfly somewhere flapped its wings wrong, and we got an alternate? sci-fi universe that led to the rest of the Rocky. Well, that's just it. Rocky four might be a single outlier because pocket universe, Rocky movie. Yeah. It might be, might be a pocky Rocky. 
<laughs> it's a multiverse of Stallones, <laughs> is what we can get into here. Yeah. So is is Rocky Four speculative fiction? Yeah. It's just that the speculation sounds kind of dumb. It's Sylvester Stallone going, "Hey, what if uh, what if what if Rock was so rich he could buy a robot?" And everyone's just like, "What if Sylvester Stallone was so rich I couldn't say no?" <laughs> and that's that's where we're at. Need to know if Polly's robot was voiced by anyone. There, there's a part of me that wants to be Sylvester Stallone's mom. Uh, for those of you who don't remember, uh, episode 19, something, something rumpologies. Sylvester Stallone's mom mm-hmm, did have mm-hmm, a fortune telling mm-hmm. business where she would read your butt cheeks and tell you your future. A classic episode of Don't Wreck Yourself. A classic episode of Don't Wreck Yourself. She'll check your left cheek, your right cheek. Or if you want to do for the combo, she'll check your left cheek, your right cheek and the crack for the price of like 700 bucks or something like that. <laughs> I mean, that's a steal. Getting Sylvester Stallone's mom to touch your butt is not cheap. And and, and even necessary, because she will allow you to send pictures. Stallone will do it for free, though. Only if you're a young actress in the mid-90s. At which point he will make inappropriate comments about you being his number one girl. But then he'll buy you a robot <laughs> for your birthday. <laughs> so, given the existence of Rocky IV, you either have to argue that Rocky IV is a sci-fi film or that a robot does not a sci-fi film make. And I think given my other example, Scrubs is probably a stronger argument. I think Rocky four just gets sucked up into the SpaceX jet engine and, and turned into sci-fi. I, yes, I, I think in Scrubs, what Dr. Jonathan Scrubs was doing was <laughs> doing a sci-fi <laughs> himself. He was speculating about the future with okay. robots. He was doing a sci-fi. He was doing a sci-fi in his brain. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That particular dream sequence of that particular episode was sci-fi. It wasn't like, and you could tell by his face that he was speculating. So I, I will exactly. give you that. I will give you that. He was doing exactly what that definition said sci-fi So was. your argument is that JD's individual. Dr. That, Jonathan that, Scrubs. Dr. Jonathan, jo- Dr. Jonathan T. Scrubs, his imagined daydream mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is in of itself a complete sci-fi inside of the Scrubs comedy. It's like a TikTok, yeah. The quick <sighs> few seconds of sci-fi. I'll give you that. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. I, I will give you that JD did a sci-fi inside of his comedy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But that the comedy itself, the larger show itself, is not itself a sci-fi. Much like Don't Wreck Yourself is not a sci-fi show, but this episode is a sci-fi show. It's a sci-fi episode, okay. Exactly. And the yeah. next one will be a musical episode. Next one will be a musical episode. But what's great about that is that everybody listening right now gets to participate in our next question by Ooh. sheer virtue of experiencing our sci-fi episode. Buckle up. Oof. Get your helmets on. Tell my wife I love her very much. She knows, but tell her anyway. This also comes from r slash no stupid questions. And if you were about to ask what's r slash no stupid questions, I will remind you that we covered it at the beginning of the episode, which was Mm -hmm. literally the previous question. But sometimes we get off topic and you may have forgotten. I can understand it's a confusing format. But no stupid question is that magical place on the Internet. I'm sorry, that scientific place on the Internet where Mm -hmm. there's some strange future technology. All stupidity has been extracted from the question. <laughs> uh, this is posted by user anonymous mermaid one one one. So there you go. There's there there's you go. your ones. 
So many anonymous mermaids. Yeah. Those fucking anonymous mermaids. Can't resist the siren song. <laughs> they have to be anonymous. Do you have any idea how many deaths are on their hands? Right? <laughs> we can't go into fantasy. We have to stay in sci-fi. They're all on the run. <laughs> So user anonymous mermaid 111 says, why do guys think that liking science fiction makes them smart? Because it does. Does it though? Next question. <laughs> so this is interesting. So you got a couple different things that you need to examine here. One, why do you guys? So they're specifically calling out the male science fiction fan base, which I think is legitimate because historically speaking, it has been a, masculine form and audience for a whole bunch of terrible reasons that start a long time ago and continue up into our modern day. However, I will say that that is absolutely changing. Mm -hmm. We have seen a huge diversification of the people being exposed to and participating in science fiction and geek culture in general. And that is a good thing, making us stronger. I'll also add that science fiction was started by a woman. Which woman? Mary Shelley. Frankenstein. First science fiction in literature. Let's go. Boom. Come at me. Uh, she started it. No, I have no argument there. That is spot on. <laughs> you agreed with this premise right out the gate. You said because it No, does. that was a joke. Sometimes I have trouble telling when you're joking because you're so, it, like, I believe you. Yeah, of course. I'm very charismatic you're on this show which makes you kind of a subject matter expert on all things so. <laughs> i think this is like the problem with elon musk i know we do a lot of <laughs> on this but i think he loves science fiction so much that he thinks he's so smart <laughs> that he told people to build him a flamethrower and now he thinks he's a technology king yeah yeah because he he's the person who like memorizes the star trek techno babble and then goes and talks to real scientists and says, okay, now make the Star Trek techno babble happen. And then mm -hmm. they do it. And he says, see, I'm a fucking visionary. He's, he's not just, he's learning the wrong things from Rick and Morty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just impressed that he's learning still lifelong learner. <laughs> I, I, I tried to approach this from as clear a baseline as possible. And like, let's cut through the, the gendered part of it. And, and, mm -hmm. and any assumptions, let's say, why do guys think that liking science fiction makes them smart? Occam's razor dictates that the simplest explanation might be that they're smart. So that's what I Googled. That's okay. right. I did my I did Ooh. my research. I closed my vaccine window and I opened this window up and I did my research. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and what I found was actually really interesting because the first stuff I found actually indicated that science fiction makes you dumber. Oh, tell me more. I'm going to give you these articles in kind of the opposite order that I found them in because I kind of went further and further and further back. So our story begins, well, obviously at Mary Shelley's, uh, well, they, where were they? They weren't at Mary Shelley's house. They were at somebody else's house, right? Uh, Lord Byron. I Lord believe. Byron. Oh, they were totally fucking. You know they were fucking. Lord Byron was, was fucking everybody. It yeah. was the romantic period. They were all fucking. Like, <laughs> I don't know how Mary Shelley, like, you know how I know that party sucked? Because the only woman who got invited spent the entire night writing Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, hey, you coming down to the pool? She's like, nah, I got a fucking banger on my hands. <laughs> <laughs> Your kids are going to love it. 
I could see myself fading out of a picture with my family and I need to write this book. <laughs> she she wrote the she wrote the most banging prequel to a Scooby-Doo episode ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's all Scooby-Doo fanfic technically. Once you We could all be so lucky. If you're if you're what Kurt Vonnegut described as a Tramalfadorian, then you understand that Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was written at the same time as every single appearance of Frankenstein in every pop culture media ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because time is flat and fourth dimensional beings can't see the difference. Can't see time as a linear construct. We're all over the fucking place right now. And that's amazing. Yeah, we are. But in 2013, psychologist David Comer Kidd and Emmanuel Castano gave extracts of text by writers such as Danielle Steele or Gillian Flynn to participants, identifying these as, quote, genre fiction or extracts of more literary works. Then analyzing how accurately readers could identify emotions in others the literary readers they found were better at doing that. The research indicates that science fiction and other explicitly genre literature makes you, quote, worse readers. So basically, they got a literary text, and then they got a science fiction text or a romance text. So it's not so this research was not specific to science fiction, but it does get into genre. Sure. And what they found was that when people are reading genre literature, they took less away. Okay. So Interesting. This was responded to by research in 2017 by Washington and Lee University professors Chris Gaveler and Dan Johnson. And they set out to kind of narrow the variables by presenting readers with identical 1,000-word stories, whereas the aesthetic elements of the literary piece were swapped out with terms that were more common in science fiction. So they enter a galley on a spaceship instead of a local diner. They pass through an airlock instead of a door. And what they found was that these changes caused readers to assume it is less worthwhile in a literary sense, and they devoted less effort to reading it. Huh. That's one interpretation of their of their findings. So the, the researcher Gaveler said, the science fiction setting triggered poorer overall reading and appeared to predispose readers to a less effortful and comprehending mode of reading, or what we might term non-literary reading. So in other words, the trappings of sci-fi made the text seem less important. Sounds like these people were just reading for fun when they were reading sci-fi, and that, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, you know what well, I mean. Well, here's here's the way I look at that though. So you have two identical thousand-word stories where they've just swapped out some. Is the story yeah. good? Exactly. And I think it also ignores the engagement that people tend to have with works of science fiction. Most of the stuff that they're that that like all of your big fan bases, though Star Wars, Star Trek. Terminator, Doctor Who, and and even getting into fantasy worlds where you have similarly Mm -hmm. complex settings. Like you have to absorb the entirety of the setting while also starting to relate to the characters. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. you like you're like Han Solo is a scoundrel. Luke Skywalker's, you know, the farm boy. You know, they've got their little they've got their archetypes and their modes that they're operating in. And you, you kind of come to empathize with them like luke skywalker is your point of view character he's a young kid coming of age and he's learning about the force for the first time he encounters so the like those are those are really impactful stories that people have enjoyed for now for what two three generations we're on we're on our third generation of star wars fans at this point and i wouldn't say that people are failing to connect with the characters because the the setting's complicated. So I, I think presenting this research only in the context of a thousand word story doesn't really do it justice because even a literary text, like 
if you pick up a copy of Tale of Two Cities, you know, it was the best of times. It was the worst times. Yeah, that's a fucking baller opening. But right. did you really read the book? If you didn't read the book, you've got to read the whole book. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what's interesting is they came to kind of a similar conclusion. Basically, that when you tell somebody that something is sci-fi and you give them the context clues in the writing that something is sci-fi, they, they're not as dutiful in their reading of it. However, responding to some criticisms of their research, they ran another experiment in 2019. This time, they asked 204 participants to read two stories. Both were called Ada. Okay. And were identical apart from one word. So to provide the strictest possible control, the literary version begins, My daughter is standing behind the bar, polishing a wine glass against a white cloth. The science fiction version begins, my robot is standing behind the bar, polishing a wine glass against a white cloth. So in this case, the presence of the word robot did not reduce wow. the merit evaluation, effort reporting, or objective comprehension scores. Wow. They also write that in their previous study, these have been reduced by the sci-fi setting. So the difference, so they conclude that the difference between the studies is presumably the result of differences between the two science fiction texts. So I will give you credit where credit is due. They needed to turn this story of a of someone standing behind a bar polishing a wine glass against a white cloth into sci-fi, and they just turned that person into a robot. They so, just put them into a, just so put a fucking robot. Yeah, that's all it takes. <laughs> that's what all it takes. Insert insert robot. Please collect your Hugo Awards, sir. <laughs> yeah, correct. <laughs> the Nebula Awards Committee would like to speak with you, sir. <laughs> Just tell ChatGPT to change one word of your story to robot every few chapters, and there you go. Bing, bang, boom. Nomination. So the, the conclusion that they ultimately advance is that sci-fi readers do not actually have a diminished quality of reading just because something is sci-fi. It might seem like that's not addressing the question of why do, uh, why do guys think liking science fiction makes them smart? But uh, if you subscribe to our Patreon, you're going to actually see these notes on, uh, on Patreon. Um, but Cap... I clipped the two first articles that I came across. Would you mind reading those for me? <clears throat> I would love to. So the first one's from uh, the, the first one was the first article I found from 2019. Scientists behind sci-fi makes you stupid study refute original research. And then go ahead and read the article before that. Or the other article comes from 2017. Science fiction triggers poor reading study finds. Right. So the article that they're referencing doesn't say that sci-fi makes you stupid. It says that science fiction triggers poor reading. Wow. So what I think is interesting about that is that popular reporting on scientific writing is rife with misinterpretation and misapplication. Like scientists are always going on TV and being like, settle down. You know, mm -hmm. like by the time journalists get a hold of it, especially clickbait journalists, Things can be taken wildly out of context. So while reading scientific writing may not support the claim that reading science fiction makes us dumber, reading non-scientific journalism about reading scientific writing about whether reading science fiction makes us dumber might be making us dumber. <laughs> if that makes sense. Sorry, everybody listening to this podcast. You think you just got dumber. <laughs> my, my <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, you just got dumber. And I apologize. No. Not with all the other episodes, just this one. Just this one. I can assure you. <laughs> Everything else is a fucking treasure trove of knowledge. <laughs> so I think it's also worth noting that they're not distinguishing between types of intelligence when they talk about this. What they were testing on, for the most part, was 
how you were able to extract information about the characters, their motivations, their emotions, that sort of thing. They're actually, they're, what they're doing is they're, they're testing people for their emotional intelligence related to reading these pieces of writing, which is separate from IQ, which is, I think what the original question asker is referring to. It's like, it's not like people reading, reading sci-fi are like, Oh, I have exceptional interpersonal emotional intelligence. Like, I don't think that's the claim being made. No, no, no. So while, while these, Articles that I'm finding online may be purporting to report on sci-fi's <laughs> effect on your intelligence. They're actually talking about your, their, its effect on your emotional intelligence, which is a perfectly legitimate form of intelligence. Very important. Very important. Some might even say that it is more important than yeah. IQ, which is your <laughs> intelligence quotient, <laughs> which measures purely reasoning ability. Because at this point, I'm just like, okay, does reading science fiction make somebody smarter? And I found a lot of claims like it makes you feel more open to the scientific method, which can help you with your reasoning ability. It makes you more trusting of science or distrusting of particular sciences like AI for obvious reasons, because we will die. Um, I I think there's some social benefits, too. There's usually I mean, Star Trek is a big one. That's not reading, but there's a lot of diversity. In Star Trek, that might open people's minds to you know accepting diversity in their lives. Yeah, and that's that's exactly a point that's raised a lot is that people, and again, that's another emotional intelligence thing. Exactly, because you're able to speculate what somebody else's existence might be. A lot of sci-fi instills a sense of humanity as well. I would feel, which is again emotional, but yeah, which is weird because you got there by adding a robot. But exactly. maybe it's, but maybe it it's the you... juxtaposition of the robot to the human that makes it possible to more completely analyze the human experience. That's exactly what it is. Oh, my God. Robots. I think, I think we just won sci-fi. <laughs> Fictional robots solve every problem with humanity, obviously. <laughs> so I found this. It was actually conducted as an online survey, and they wrote up a paper around it. They had 909 unique respondents. And then the purposes of this was to survey the characteristics of the readers of science fiction. In other words, it was sort of a self-assessment. Like you self-identify as somebody who reads science fiction. Mm-hmm. How do you think about other things in the world? So they're trying to use that ba- that that demographic node and then just expand and characterize what a science fiction reader looks like. And what they found was 42.8% of science fiction readers live in North America and another 28.4% live in Australia or New Zealand. So are you are you seeing the are you seeing the issue with this here? Yeah. So there's obviously some di- some issues with their data set. This is not a global data set. Okay. So, like seventy percent of their respondents come from either North uh, the USA and Canada or Australia and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Uh, another eighteen point two percent are in Western Europe. So you're not getting point of views on science fiction or self assessments from science fiction readers in Eastern Europe, Southeast Asia, or other locations which accounts for about 10% of their total respondents. Well, one good thing is that the male-female split here is actually just shy of 55% of the respondents were female and 45% were male. Wow. So whether or not this addresses why guys think they're smart, I don't know. <laughs> but there should be, there, there's enough data in here. The median age of women participating in the survey was 35 and the median age of males was 45. 
another another shortfall is this person who's probably in some sort of post uh, graduate or postgraduate program put this out and it seems like the majority of their respondents were highly educated. So okay. their education level, like 43% of uh, their respondents had attended university. 39% of the respondents had a postgraduate degree. So wow. <laughs> 40% of our population does not have a graduate degree. Yeah. Now that said, is that because people who read science fiction are smarter or is it because the researcher researching whether or not people who read science fiction are smarter associates with people and advertises their survey in social circles where people are probably above average intelligence? That, that feels more correct. That said, some of the questions like, how good are you at solving puzzles and working things out in your head? Now, that is describing IQ. That is sure. That, that is rational thinking. That's pattern recognition. On a scale of one to five, where one is I solve puzzles with a hammer and five is I'm the world chess champion, 56.9% of people answered four out of five. 28.2% were, uh, were a three out of five, and then 7.3% were two. And then I solve hammers with, hammers with a puzzle was 1.4, and I'm the world chess champion with 6.1%. So most people there. Wow. Like the vast majority of people, 84% of people who responded to the survey rated themselves as average or above average at problem solving. Do you find it easy to understand new and familiar ideas? 95.2% said yes. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was how old were you when you first started reading science fiction? Hmm. Now, keep in mind that classic science fiction is generally written at an adult education level. You'd probably a high school education level. Yeah. 87.3% started reading below the age of 15. 9% indicated that they were between the ages of 15 and 20, which means people over the age of 20 only represented about three, uh, 3.5% of the total respondents. So most of these people started reading at a high level at a very young age. So... Are people who like sci-fi just smarter? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I definitely started reading sci-fi at a very young age. Yeah, so did I. Sci-fi and fantasy. But I'm not very smart. (laughs) I just really like sci-fi. Like, I found the survey. The survey doesn't really help us get to the bottom of it because I think their their data set, although 900 people is a fairly good-sized data set, and... It's controlled for gender, which does help us address one part of the question, which is why do guys think that? And it looks mm-hmm. like women think that way too, if they are sci-fi, if they're sci-fi fans. So there's a little bit of gender equity there, which is nice. I think what we're seeing is maybe well, there's two factors that I think are coming into play. One is frequency bias, because sci-fi for such a long period of time was considered to be a masculine form, both in terms of the writing and the consumption. I think that. Vocal male sci-fi fans are fairly common. Yeah, absolutely. So this this survey does help us sort of cut that aspect of it out. I, I think it's general, generally speaking, people who read science fiction probably think of themselves as being more intelligent. What I did not find was any scientific information about whether or not it makes you more intelligent or whether or not people who enjoy sci-fi enjoy it because they're more intelligent. 
Well, what I did find was an interesting theory that probably lives stronger on the internet than in academic theory, and it's called the Great Fantasy Migration. Hmm. Have you heard of this concept before? This is a new concept to me. All right. More, please. So I stumbled across this while I was trying to figure out whether sci-fi makes people smarter. (laughs) And the only academic paper that I could get my hands on was a graduate thesis from a gentleman at the University of Georgia. Oh. It's 14 pages long. Damn. Which is not very long for a thesis. (laughs) But I couldn't find anybody else using that language. He doesn't explicitly state that he's coining the term of great fantasy migration, but I did find a lot of articles discussing it. So the great fantasy migration is the idea that as prestigious positions become rarer and rarer in our society by virtue of a couple things. One, population. So there's just not enough. You only need... Who's who's the most famous person we've mentioned in the episode so far today? Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Oh god, he's such a piece <laughs> of shit. I don't want to talk about like I don't want to talk about like I literally <laughs> I have another episode that I'm recording with Matt coming up, and one of the topics dealt with Elon Musk, and I was just like, I don't want to fucking talk about Elon Musk. So I actually have to change the name of the episode because the name of the episode was X Marks the Pod. Oh my god. <laughs> Let's see. Who else have we talked about? Rocky's robot. Ooh, Sylvester Stallone. There it is. Yeah. There's only one Sylvester Stallone. You don't get a whole bunch of little mini Stallones. It, it's it's a lot harder to make it. Well, fuck, now I smoked weed. Game over. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Ian. That was a really bad choice. Cat made me do it. He used peer I pressure. Did. He did. He used peer pressure. I held up signs with threats on them so that it wasn't recorded on audio. I feel like Boo Boo in this situation. He's Yogi Bear stealing picnic baskets. And I'm just along for the fucking ride. Hey, hey, Ryan. I'm now an accomplice. Come and hit this good gutter. (laughs) Now the ranger's going to knock in the door. You two hotboxing. (laughs) My office again. Hold on, do I have a good boo-boo impersonation? Hey, Yogi. There it is, yeah. I'm just trying to hibernate, ranger. (laughs) Look. (laughs) Hibernate. <laughs> Hi, burn. Eight grams. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyway, the great fantasy migration seeks to explain how our generation and generations younger than us are coping with changes in the world through technology. Okay. Basically, they've got research that shows a rise in narcissism. You know, we think of narcissism as being a completely negative thing, but narcissism in a psychological sense is a discussion or a perception of self-worth. So you can have a narcissistic personality disorder that is different than having narcissistic indicators. Yeah, Everyone can have a little bit of narcissism as a treat. Yeah, exactly. As a treat, you know, just, you know, stay humble. But as our level of self-worth or at least sense of entitlement to greatness, people genuinely think they're entitled to greatness. Mm -hmm. I stumbled across a Facebook reel the other day. A young man and a wife beater walks up to the counter and hands the guy two rings 
And he's explaining that he needs to sell these rings that he inherited from his grandma in order to fix his girlfriend's car because he got into a, he borrowed it and got into a wreck with it. Okay. Classic. And then she starts to try to like interject a point. He's just like, shut the fuck up. You see him talking here. Go stand behind me. And then the guy's like, what just happened in front of me? Jesus. I know. But that guy, like he walked in there, the guy who does not have his own vehicle, who wrecked his girlfriend's vehicle Mm -hmm. and is now selling a dead woman's jewelry to pay for it, has the audacity to tell somebody to stand behind him. (sighs) Crazy. But the great fantasy migration posits that people with self-esteem that makes their current circumstances and future prospects untenable turn to these virtual spaces or fantasies like tabletop RPGs, like role-playing mm-hmm. games, TikTok stardom, cosplay, all of these, th- these other avenues to achieve a sense of greatness or a sense of satisfaction. Like nerd geekdom, instead of saying, I'm going to be the most powerful attorney in all of Washington, D.C., but gosh, that's really hard to do. Maybe I could just mm-hmm. memorize every line data made, uh, said in Star Trek and recite it for YouTube. Maybe I could just make a podcast. Yeah, maybe I can make a fucking podcast because I sell widgets for a living. Yeah, we've got the widgets that you need. I sell like wire nuts. Do you know what a wire nut is? It's what makes a story sci-fi. It's, if you put enough of them together and give it life, yes. <laughs> that is exactly what makes it sci-fi. Uh, so yeah, as people fail to identify real-world goals, they create artificial goals. This is hitting super close to home. I know, right? Like, like we're, we're very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is the sci-fi horror we've all been waiting for. The, Shoot! The internet's taking our pride away. <laughs> Just... I, just love going into sci-fi and fantasy worlds and not coming out for a few hours. <laughs> <sighs> Gotta lie down. <laughs> so yeah, basically what, I, what I'm saying is that this guy, uh, Paul Wheeler, has been talking some mad shit about us. Yeah, we should find him. And I would say... <laughs> Sorry, that sounded very threatening. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you need to go to Patreon and read our uh, read our episode notes because... Mm-hmm. Who knows what the fuck happened today? It was good. Though. I felt like it was good, right? It's always good. Like like our listeners could escape into this fantasy world that we've created for them in order to not have to reflect on the absolute yeah. banal truth of their existence. They could captain their own ship down our wormhole of knowledge. Uh, that sounds way better. Yeah. Can you imagine just being like the dude on that commute stuck in traffic? Or in my neighborhood, traffic is like a horse and cart. But mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're stuck in traffic and you're listening to us, you're doing great. If, if a robot's driving the cart, it's sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> but if there's one love machine that I know will never betray me. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> you did. Tell me more about this love machine. Well, his name is Rick Reynolds, and he allowed us the use of his song United from the album Portals in Progress, which you can find on Amazon, iTunes, and Spotify. You can also find Rick Reynolds on YouTube. He has a phenomenal series out right now. Uh, I think the entire thing has been uh, edited and released. He recorded his life on the road with the new metal tour. 
Uh, he is currently wow. out there crushing it every day. And, you know, he recorded tour bus life and, and actual show life. I think he got some street fights on there. Like it's, it's good content. And, you know, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know, Rick is a wonderful human being and a lot of fun to hang out with and talk to. So if you're looking for charming YouTube videos of guys beating each other up outside of biker bars, that's it. And soon uh, Rick Reynolds is going to save the city from robo Rick Reynolds. <laughs> and it's going to be the fight of the century. Yep. He's going to wail his guitar. So hard that the robot explodes. Mm-hmm. Into a uh, wire nuts. What'd you call him? He's going to play the brown note. and pfft, Now you have to take it out, Ian. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to start this one over. No, we're not. We're going to keep going. We're going to pile through. We're going to release one where we say the robot stuff and one where we don't say the robot stuff and yeah. see which one makes you dumber. Well, which one's going to be which? Because you just mentioned robots <laughs> and now we have to. So do you want to start now with no robots? Like the Rick yeah, Reynolds let's start stuff? again. No robots. Yeah. All right. Um... <laughs> I can't wait for Rick Reynolds to fight Android Rick Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, can't talk, you can't tell that story in the not robot part. So... <laughs> But if there's a love human being that will never let me down. That human being would be whom? Uh, that would be Rick <laughs> Reynolds, who is kind enough to allow us to use his song United from the album Portals in Progress, which you can find. Him. There you go. You got all of it, right? Because we already said and all he's this 100% human. Yeah, he's 100% red-blooded kangaroo meat Australian <laughs> man. He is. We've checked. A pitch-perfect biological entity. No question about it. <laughs> This is a weird recording. I, I know, I know. Uh, should we should we extol his biological heritage? Like, like he comes from grade A, UK DA, mm-hmm. prime approved convicts. <laughs> <laughs> just just top top of the line convicts. <laughs> the millions of years of convict evolution, fresh out of the school to jail pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> just like they had schools back when they founded australia <laughs> mm-hmm. anyway yeah uh cap do you have any social media that you would like to share i'm so glad you asked right thank you so much you can find me at cap and crits on what remains of twitter called x you can find me on blue sky at thinking cap i went with a different handle there mm-hmm. you can find my show shrimp and crits at shrimp and crits on the corpse of twitter called x or you could find us at shrimpandcrits.com on Blue Sky. All right. And if you are looking for me personally, you can find me at Food Aside on Instagram and no longer Twitter. Bum, bum, bum. Or X. I'm not on. I'm, I'm not on. My, my accounts are still live because when I click on like ship for the show, I want to mm-hmm. be able to see what the content is. But of I'm course. not liking and I'm not posting and you cannot slip into my DMs. I don't care how much money you pay Elon Musk. It's not going to happen. I'm not checking my messages. Actually, I probably would check. Like if I got a message there, I'd probably check it. Test it. Test it out, listener. Yeah. Well, you know what I think is really fucking sad is Elon Musk spent $44 billion so that he could decide that I'm not allowed to block him on Twitter. I'm not even allowed to call it Twitter anymore. <sighs> that guy's a fucking monster. I'm sick of talking about this. Fucking I know. Why are we still talking about <laughs> Elon Musk? Can't, can't this entire episode is getting sucked up into the SpaceX jet engine. He's the heel of Don't Wreck Yourself. Fucking landed at that time. I landed it, unlike Elon Musk, who could not land his last rocket. Boom! Boom. 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 Boom.
boom, literally boom. Oh, That's what happened to his fucking rocket. <laughs> it exploded. And I'm just glad it was an unmanned. I'm just glad it was an unmanned aircraft because eventually Elon Musk's automated bullshit is going to kill a whole lot of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't wait when we all have our chips in our head. Yeah, thanks to him getting Donald Trump elected by hooking Tucker Carlson up with that sweet Twitter show with inflated numbers. <laughs> Here's a quick fact check for you, and don't wreck yourself. Did you hear the clip of Donald Trump talking about like how he got like 193 million views of his interview with Tucker oh Carlson? Fucking more than half of the population either watched it or a significant enough number of people chose to rewatch it is, is his claim. It's the most downloaded interview ever. Oh my God, can't believe it happened. That interview was technically sci-fi because only robots watch it. <laughs> That's kind of correct. No, what a view <laughs> means on Twitter is that a post appeared in someone's timeline. Ah, yeah. Even if they scrolled past it, that is not somebody watching Donald Trump get interviewed by Tucker Carlson. That is somebody getting past Donald Trump getting interviewed by Tucker Carlson. Uh, so anyways, yeah, I'm not on fucking Twitter. But you can, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find an unupdated show page on Facebook. You can also find us on Blue Sky at wreckyourpod.com. Tell your mom. At tellyourmom.com. That should be your Patreon. Our, <laughs> uh, and you can find the bonus content that I promised you and will totally 100% deliver. Honest to God, I swear on Trump stakes. Definitely going to do it. These show notes are going on to Patreon. If you sign up to Patreon, you can see those show notes in all of their glory. It's a PowerPoint presentation. You know I'm For in you. business. In business. So many glossy JPEGs on these PowerPoints, too. Yep. You, you just go right to www.fondlemelobster.com where you can make a contribution to these scientific, fictitious Fond arts. Me lobster.com get there i'm there all right oh i'm there but if between now and next week <laughs> so if between now and next week you find yourself looking up from your dusty dog-eared cover of star wars bounty hunter wars and thinking hey that guy over there looks like a fucking dummy reading life magazine <laughs> we encourage you to check yourself don't wreck yourself we are united, but we're so far apart.